Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 15. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, verse 13, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, verse 14 with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace in addition to all this. Above all, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let's pray. Father, um, in this world of flesh, in this world of carnality in this world of lack of anything um, truly spiritual, Lord. Open our eyes to the reality of the war that we are in. More importantly, Father, open our eyes to the reality of the war you have won. And help us to arm ourselves and to put on Jesus Christ every day. Help us to stand. You've given us everything. Now, Lord, we want to follow you and walk after you and enjoy all that you've given us in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, this armor, we want to put it on now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're studying what has become known as the full armor of God. The full armor of God. And... It's the believer's armor. And as we've studied this passage the last few weeks, a few key points have been made, and I'm going to repeat some things. But a few key points have, made, have been made. First, Paul is speaking to a church in, in Ephesus. And I don't know about you, but when you come to Jesus Christ, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you start to have warfare in your life, whether you know it or not. You have internal warfare and you have external warfare. And Paul has been talking to this church, and he's been reminding them, first of all, of who they are in Christ. Your new identity. And that's chapters 1 through 3, basically. And we've already gone through that, speaking about who they are in Christ. They're seated with Christ Jesus. That is your new position. And then, in chapters 4 through 6, he says, this is what you're to do. This is how that identity affects how you live. And he says, this is how you live. And he lays out, Tons of things that we all look at and go, wow. Some of those I'm really great at, and some of those I am not even close. Anyone? So we're all in this process of learning to walk in our new identity of Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 6, verses 10 through through, uh, 11, let's just say that, He speaks about the power of the believer, the power now to stand. How many of you find the Christian walk very easy? Looking at you. Okay. It's hard. It's hard to stand and to walk and to follow after Jesus Christ because of several things. 
But this is why in verse 10 it pivots and says, finally, be strong in what? The Lord. In the power of His might. In His mighty power. A power that is not of your own. A power that is from on high, that is above and seated beyond all these things we wrestle against. He's seated, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, above all, on the throne of the universe. And we are His kids. And we have access to His power. Praise the Lord. Like one of the things that Paul's wrestling with here is to wake up to the reality, first of all, that we are at war, and secondly, that we have weapons and defense. This is why he says, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So we are to stand as Christians in the power of Jesus Christ by putting on the spiritual armor he provides. And so first Paul has been instructing the Ephesians who they are and how to live. And secondly, he's teaching them now how to stand, how to fight the fight that we're in against their enemy, the devil. And so we're at war. Did you know you're at war this morning? So many analogies, people tend to sometimes pretend like things aren't really happening around them and that they're going to go away. They aren't. We have a real enemy, a real adversary. When you decided to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you switched sides. And The enemy's aim is to make you as nominal and as ineffective and as sidelined and as just totally worthless salt that's put under the feet of men, that type of thing, a light that doesn't shine. He just, that's what his deal is. He can't take away your salvation, but he wants to take away your effectiveness. And so we essentially have three enemies. And this is what we've been talking about. We have three enemies. We have the enemy within, which is our flesh. What we deal with every single day. Unredeemed flesh. And so what happens is the Lord saves us by sending his Holy Spirit, makes us a new creation. But guess what didn't get redeemed? My body. It's fallen. That's why what's going to happen at the resurrection, we're going to get a new body that's in compliance with our spirit. Praise the Lord. Amen? So we have this enemy within us. And the antidote, the way to have victory over your flesh and its desires and its drives and its cravings and its selfishness, does everybody know? You crucify it daily. Now, we're not talking about literally going nailing ourselves to the cross. It doesn't do anything to you because you're still there wanting to do bad stuff. We're talking about Reckoning ourselves dead by faith, that I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, and I no longer live, but it is now Christ who lives in me. And we've talked about that extensively, about how do dead people respond to pornography? How do dead people respond to whatever the temptation is out there? They don't. They're dead. We are to reckon ourselves dead to this world and alive to Christ. You now have power over sin because Christ, who has power over sin, is in you. Amen? 
So we crucify that. You don't cast it out. Secondly, we have the devil. This is the outside world. These are external enemies. And he uses the tactics of, of stealth and deceit and lies to tempt us away from walking worthy, from walking that walk. That's how he operates, in stealth, deceit, and lies. And even he can be blatant too. But the main way the devil does all that, tries to get us to not walk worthy, to become ineffective, to run us through, the main tool that he uses is the world in which we live. And that's our third enemy, basically, the world. The world, its systems, and how it's all arranged is influenced by the enemy, either directly or indirectly. Those who are not for him are what? Against him. And First John chapter 5, maybe it says that all the worlds are ruled by Satan. When Sa- all, the, all the kingdoms are ruled by Satan. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, what happened? He said, bow down, worship me, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Did Jesus argue with him? No, he did not. He did not argue because the enemy has control. Now, you might go, no, he doesn't. And that is the reason why he is so, he uses deceit, he uses stealth, and he uses very, very amazing tactics. And so you can be someone who goes, oh man, that is evil, that is bad, they're cutting off people's heads. And we see that the enemy is behind that. But then how about good old-fashioned church? that never preaches repentance, that never preaches the cross, that never re- that preaches what Jesus taught. The very first things that came out of his mouth were repent. And they only preach, oh, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. He loved you so much, he sent his son to die to save you out of that and to give you grace, which is the ability to now walk in holiness, to not be enchained by that anymore. So the devil's got something for everybody. Do you want to be super conservative? He's got something for you. He'll put nationalism out there. And you just start marching down those lines and go, nationalist, America, America, America. I love America, okay? So just know I love America. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? We can go down and we put it, those values somehow on par with what God says. And you can go the other side. You can go wherever you want. You can be super religious. You can be irreligious, blatant, pornographer, whatever you want to say. He's got something for everybody, the system. It's influenced by him, by people who are unredeemed, who are ruled by their flesh, varying degrees. But tell me, what does it take to not enter the kingdom of heaven? The gospel is very narrow. It says that you must repent and you must believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day and you will be saved. That's narrow. You know, I shared this before. My dad was in Vietnam and he was a Huey pilot and he was very close to being shot down. Well, he was shot down one time, but a bullet came up and hit the console right in front of him. Shrapnel came down, got in his shoulder. And he said, you know, Matt, the difference between me being here and not here is what? From that rifle on the ground. And that's, 
That's all the enemy needs. Just remove Jesus, put a different Jesus in there. Put a different gospel, another gospel. Put all the good works you want. Pile them up. But just don't mention the cross. See, the enemy will fill churches. He will infiltrate. He will do whatever it takes to keep us from preaching Christ crucified, repentance from dead works. So you see how, and we're deceived in thinking because we've got the bands, we've got the lights, we've got the whatever it might be, that this is church and therefore God is here because I feel something. You know how powerful and influential music is? Man, I feel things when I feel music. I can get here and I can play a guitar solo for you guys and give you guitar face. And I'm feeling it. Okay? So I'm just saying, he'll, he'll use whatever. So we've got this enemy on the outside that plays with the world and the purpose of it is to draw us away. Right now, you're going to watch football. Let me ask you, why do you want to watch football? I, have, I don't want to watch football whatsoever because my team lost, but I'm just saying for you guys, <laughs> you out there, you unspiritual people, <laughs> we want to see the hits, we want to see the plays, we want to see the excitement, the entertainment, and all that stuff. And I'm just saying, I get drawn into, right? I'm not, I'm not doing the legalism thing. But there's endorsements by these players. Why do they have the endorsements? What are they selling? Look at the commercials. Are you content to wear the clothes you have now for the rest of your lives? Are you content now to keep things the way are, to drive the same car you have? I'm not, but I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying. But they're playing on you. What are they playing on? What's going on there? Where does that come from? Who's teaching you to be discontent? Who's teaching you to be unsatisfied, ungrateful, coveting? You're going, oh, man, it's not that bad. Okay, have fun. How deep is the darkness? We are fooled. And the longer I walk in the Lord, the more I realize how fooled I am. And the things that I grab into, that I, that I compromise on. So it starts with me, right? So I'm just saying, we've got this enemy. And it's within. He's playing with the things within us. And the way of the cross is what? Is it? It's self-denial. It's deny self and follow me. That doesn't save you. It's because you were saved, by the way. But we're in a war. And all these things that pull us on us to just distract us enough from being walking in the light, from being effective, from sharing our faith, from loving people, from piercing the darkness with the light that God has given you. The enemy will use whatever's in his tool bag that you like. And he is just going to pluck away at you until you just get ineffective and sidelined enough. And then when someone comes to you and says, 
hey, brother, you know, you're caught in this. You need to, you need to really stop doing this because you're just, and you go, oh, you're a legalist. Or whatever it might be. You know, I mean, whatever it might be. You know, sometimes people can react like that. I've done that in my life. Or, you know, hey, who are you, Mr. Holy and stuff? You know, of course, we've got to do it in a spirit of humility, right? Because we're all fall short. But Satan knows our weaknesses. We're at war. And if you decide to follow Jesus Christ and not just be a Sunday morning Christian, not just have your card and say, I'm a member, but to actually do something and to follow Lord Jesus and to step out in faith in the giftings and the callings and you're feeling the heat of self-denial and you're laying down things you want to do for the things that he wants to do, you're going to get hit. And you're going to need armor because you are in the battle. And so if I'm talking to you right now and you're going, why do I need armor? That's something for you to think about. You might not be in the fight. You might not be in the fight. You might be caught up in this tactics of stealth and deceit. And so, what does he say? He says, put on the full armor of God. Be strong in his power. That's the only way we can have it because our war is not physical, it's spiritual. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, verse 12, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in, in, in the heavenly realms. So behind the world's systems and its evils and is the influence of Satan and his demons. We went into great length about Satan and his demons. But if we can think we can fight this war by beating ourselves or by uh, isolating ourselves or by negotiating or bombing this spiritual em- enemy that's behind enemies that we experience, we're going to live a totally defeated Christian life. And how many of you feel like you lived a totally defeated Christian life? You just have no victory. God wants you to have victory this morning. He has provided the victory and he's provided the means. And he loves you so deeply. And so what do we do to walk worthy of the calling? We must do verses 10, 11, and 13. 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God that implies we have to do something so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He has schemes. Verse 13, skipping, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. The church in Ephesus was experiencing incredible temptation to abandon the Lord, to abandon the faith, to just give in. They're getting persecuted. Their false teaching was coming in. We read about that later in Revelation. They all did the good works, but they had a temptation to leave their first love. Within a hundred years they had. The deep evil days here, and so we got to put on our spiritual armor. And so last week, by way of review, really quickly, verse four, uh, 14, what's the armor look like? Stand firm them in the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in its place. So with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth is an attitude of being committed to the truth. It's not just saying you're going to go out there and smack people with truth. That's the sword of the spirit. That's offense. That's later. Defense, put on your belt of truth. You're living in accordance with the truth. And we talked about it last week. The Roman soldier, they wore a tunic 
They had a kind of like a mini dress on. And then they put on that tunic. And, and if you're out at war, you had a belt on. And you took those edges of that dress and you tied it up in the belt so someone didn't grab it and pull it over your head and stab you. You took the loose ends of your life and you tied it up. We take the loose ends of our life and we live in accordance with the truth. You don't live in accordance with the truth and truthfulness. If that's not girded around you, an attitude, a mindset, I will conform to the truth. You are compromised. The enemy will grab those loose ends and he will run it over your head and run you through and you will live defeated. So, we live in truthfulness. We put on the belt of truth. That's a choice. Amen? We put it on. Are we committed to the truth? Do we put on the truth? What is the truth? His word is truth. Are we hearers only or doers as well? Right? Again, the belt is what those Roman soldiers tied up the loose ends with. Do you have loose ends in your lives, right? Are you content with sin and all these things that are flying around? Are you living in truthfulness, conformed to the word, committed to the battle? We're not talking about perfection. The Lord says be perfect, right? Is I perfect? But we, you know, great. I think that's going to happen when, when we die. But are we living that life that says, I will conform to the truth? And we respond to the Spirit when he says, hey, this is what needs to happen. So putting on the belt of truth. And secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. The Roman soldier wore that breastplate to protect their vital organs. Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness, as we spoke last week, is right standing with God. And you're right standing with God. This is something that theologians talk about something that was imputed to us. It was given to us. Righteousness is something that God puts on us. When we put our faith in Christ, what happens is he took away our dirtiness and he put the righteousness of Christ on us. He put that on us. That cannot be removed. We have it. You have been declared righteous by God. Praise God. You can't lose that piece of armor, so to speak. So what's he talking about? He's talking about right actions. And this is what we talked about last week. Because I have been made right with God, it should be lived out in my life. It's holy living. This is, our, this is our life, our actions towards one another. We put on righteous deeds and good works. That's why you've been saved and set apart from the world. You're holy. Not to be kept apart for, the, for purposes of being hidden. You've been declared holy and then it's pulled out of the world, bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, adorned, so that he can now use you in his kingdom for his purposes. Are we living like that? Have we put on righteousness? Right? And as we're talking about these things, we're going, oh no, I can't do that. That's why it says in verse 10, be strong in what? The Lord, his mighty power, right? All right, cool. So, we have that breastplate of righteousness. We've been declared righteousness. This is not earned. As Philippians 3, 7 says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not by what I do, I have, have, by following a set of rules, but which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from the God based on faith, that's the one he put on us. But now we're to work that out in our lives. That's why the word righteous is constantly associated with righteous deeds, righteous works, righteous acts. 
You were saved for good works which Christ prepared for you before the foundations of the earth. We're to walk in that. So these things protect us. If we're not walking in righteousness, do you think we're exposed to the enemy's attacks? You bet. You bet. Okay, I want to skip. So put on the belt of truth and breastplate of righteousness. Okay, today, verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so an, an essential piece of armor, if you're going to go into battle, is you've got to wear shoes. It's important to wear some shoes. Roman soldiers were wearing shoes, sandals, thick uh, thick uh, sandals of leather and things like that. I'll talk about that in a second. But one of the tactics in warfare has been and has always been to disable a soldier by any means necessary. Any means necessary. One of those ways that it happens throughout time is either fighting on ground where the enemy cannot get a footing. You're looking for tactical advantage where the enemy cannot get ground, like Hamburger Hill. That's why it was so difficult. They were trying to attack at night. They were clunking their armor against stuff. They were sliding down the mud. Couldn't get footing. Couldn't get a foothold to, gri- to, to go up the wall. So that's one of the tactics that the enemy has. But for the Roman soldier, they often wore thick sandals, made a thick lever, and they, had, uh, they would have uh, tiny nails driven through the bottom of them to act as spikes. So have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. The picture is you have these shoes that are spiked, I grew up in San Diego, as you know, and uh, one of the things about San Diego is you have hard, sun-baked ground. It's not like here where it's soft and your infield actually has real dirt. It's just like you're, you're on clay. And it would be inevitable we'd have baseball practice that yours truly would not bring his cleats. And so I would be out there, second base or what have you, and they would hit the ball to the right, and I would, with all my heart, want to lunge, right? And I go... And I just pancake it. Or I run over and I... And you're just sliding. You can't get ground. You can't get ground. Get the wrong shoes on. And if you had the wrong shoes for the wrong situation, ladies, come on now. (laughs) We're getting you in the war. (laughs) Get your war shoes on. (laughs) Got a whole arsenal of shoes. (laughs) But have you ever had the wrong shoes on? It can be debilitating. Ones that rub your foot wrong and you got stuff going on and you're on an all-day hike and you're like, this is miserable. That's horrible. This is why athletes have different types of shoes. We know this. Different sports, different conditions, turf versus natural grass, right? I mean, it's a big deal. You wear your long cleats, you're going to be too stuck in something. You've got to have your short cleats. Golfers, I don't know why you do that, but I guess it's important to have those little. You've got to educate me on that. But they're all to mean they're footing in all types of circumstances, right? used to work at uh, a restaurant, and it was required that you had non-slick shoes because there's grease on the floors or what have you, or water. And let me tell you, you wore the wrong shoes, you were taking a fall with plates. But you had those two shoes. I mean, it was just like, you could do whatever you wanted. How much more is important to be able to stand your ground on the field of battle? To be able to stand and have good footing in war when someone's running at you to kill you. How did you like to go, ah, and slip and fall, and they just run you through? That's not what we want. You want to be able to brace for impact. 
You want to have your foot firmly planted in the ground. How advantageous would it be for an enemy if you never wore shoes? There's stories of many battles, like in the Revolutionary War, where the British would be all polished out with all their gear. And the Revolutionary, uh, the Minutemen and things, they would, have, they would have difficulty, great difficulty in conquering them, not because of their tactics, but because their feet froze because they didn't have any shoes on. They're too poor to have shoes, a lot of them, and they'd run around barefoot and get cut and have diseases. Got to be equipped. This is why another tactic of the enemy is to wound your foot. On the battlefield in the Roman days, what they would do is they would take sticks, they'd sharpen them with spikes and put them in the ground, cover them with leaves or whatever. And so you'd be walking as a Roman soldier and you would step on that. And if you didn't have thick shoes on, guess what's happening? You're out there on your thousand mile march and you just got ran through. There's no hospital in sight. You're done. How much more critical to be vitally equipped with proper shoes for spiritual warfare. And this is, this is the spiritual analogy and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, uh, peace. Put on, equip yourself, be ready with the gospel of key, peace. Now what in the world does that mean? Some think it means uh, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. And I've said that, right? I, I think I have. I'm, if I didn't, I probably have. Because I just put that down. Now the first idea, and there's a couple different thoughts of what this means, is the first is be ready and be equipped to preach the gospel in season and out. And so you would take a verse like Romans 10, 14 through 15, where it says, how can they then that call on the one they have not believed, and how can they then believe in the one whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching them, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Amen? And so you might say, on one, you know, be... be prepared with the mindset that you are to go out and attack. Now, I'm thinking this is a defensive thing, and so I've changed my thoughts over the days. I'm, I'm more thinking that this is a defensive thing, and so my understanding is that we're talking about armor to defend ourselves against the enemy. So this first batch of armor that we see is all defensive, and later we get into the attacking stuff. So I think Paul is talking about standing here, not going. Does that mean you don't go? No, that's just not what he's talking about. The issue is warfare, defending against the attacks of Satan. Our feet need to be equipped so we can stand firmly when the enemy attacks. What do we stand upon? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our foundation. We stand upon the gospel. The gospel of what? The gospel of peace. What does that mean? It keeps us from slipping when the enemy attacks because, guess what? No matter what he throws at us, we know we have peace with God. God. You have peace with God. Say it. I have peace with God. Based upon what? What Jesus did. Faith in Jesus. You have peace with God. That is what you stand upon. No matter what he throws at you, what kind of day it's been, what's going on in your life, you know you have a firm foundation that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that he died and rose again. That word peace, well, the word gospel means good news. You have the good news of peace. What does peace mean? It means peace. You have good news of peace, well, harmony, tranquility. You have safety. You're not at war. 
You're in harmony with the Lord. You're in harmony with the one who rules over. So we stand on the fact, the good news, that we have peace with God. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, uh, it, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by one faith into his grace, in which we now stand. Man, that is a study and a half. Therefore, since we have been justified, that's a judicial act of declaring you righteous before God. The judge said, you're no longer guilty, you're innocent. He took the sacrifice, applied it to you. You're innocent. Therefore, through faith, we have that. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We stand on grace. So we have been declared righteous through faith in Jesus. We have peace through God, with God through Jesus. We are at peace with God, praise the Lord, by his undeserved favor. You can't earn it. It's something you receive, something he puts on you. But this means that in the battle, God is not your enemy. He's on your side. Rather, we are on his. Let me just put a, a, a biblical example to kind of bring us out of our lull. I see you all ready to sleep. Come on. Wake up. It's only a few more minutes. Commercial time. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we read of King Aram being at war with Israel. Bad dude. And Elisha, God's prophet there, kept telling the king of Israel by prophetic means everywhere this enemy would be. This enemy king got upset. He's like, how in the world do they keep knowing where we're going to attack and where we're going to go and where we're going to be? And someone said, oh, they got a prophet. His name is Elisha, and he just keeps telling the king, he, he can whisper things that you whisper in your own bedroom. Not a good person to have on the other side. And so he goes, he decides, I'm going to go find this guy. I'm going to capture him. He gets upset. So 2 Kings chapter 6, he says, hey, he's in Dothan, he's told, we're going to send people down there. So verse 14 of, of 2 Kings chapter 6 says, then he sent horses and chariots and strong forces there, and they went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up, the servant who was with Elijah, he went out early the next morning, and an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So we're all gathered here for prayer in the morning, and all of a sudden, ISIS just surrounds the place. And someone peeps out the door and goes, what's all the ruckus? Oh my goodness. They're all standing there, you know, and they got their swords and they got jumpsuits ready for you and everything. Just trying to, what do we do? We do what this guy did. Oh my gosh, we're We're sunk. An army of, oh, my Lord, what shall we do? Was what he said to Elisha. And the servant asked, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us then are more than those who are with them. And you're going, what are you talking about? There's, you know, 50, there's two of them and an army around them, but without, you know what I'm saying? And Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened his eyes and he looked and he saw the hills, the hills, full of horses horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Open their eyes to the open his eyes to the reality of the war. Open 
his eyes to the reality of the war. And this is what the Lord needs to do with us. Open our eyes to the reality of the war. Open our eyes. God was on their side. We see physical things, but what's the spiritual reality that's really happening? The Lord, we win. Have you read the end? We win. We're on the winning team. There's two-thirds angels to one-third demons. We've got king of kings, lord of lords on all thrones. He's not going, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened to you today. I want you to trust him. I want you to trust him. I want you to seek him. I want you to put on the things he has for you. Know that you have peace with him. Know that no matter what's coming your way, that you have peace with God. You've got to rest in that. You've got to trust in the gospel. Put it on. God's on their side. We stand on the fact that we have peace with God. And as we talked about, nothing can separate us from the Lord. Romans 8, just read it. Have fun. Let your soul, based in that, just fill your heart and your mind with truth instead of junk. Fill it with truth, spiritual truth. Turn off the crud, put on the light. Right, church? Put it on. Fill it with the fact that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. What does that mean in the Greek? Nothing means nothing. Anything. Created or seen or unseen. I mean, he goes into all these things. Principles, life, nor even death. The thing we're most afraid about, dying, you know, or whatever it might be, demons and crazy warlike things you're thinking, or Al-Qaeda or ISIS or the stock market or whatever, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Physical things I got going on in my body, fibromyalgia, you know, the deterioration that's happening slowly and what comes with nothing. My feet are firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyone? Yes. We stand on that. Put it on. We live in truthfulness. We live in righteousness. And we stand on the fact we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And lastly, uh, I guess I'm going to have to get it next week. See, it took too long. I always have more to say, don't I? (laughs) Verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The enemy's going to be hitting you. He's going to be firing things at you. And you've got to have the shield of faith. And this shield is an awesome shield. It's not the little dinky gladiator shield. It is the full-on, four-foot-tall, two-foot-wide shield that you shoved into the ground and your whole body got behind as the barrage of arrows came in and went brrrr. And they're coming every day. The arrows are coming. They're coming more and more and more and more as evil men grow wicked and wickeder. And they're coming from all different directions. And this armor is yours. The shield of faith. Pick it up. Put it on. Above all, it says, which means in addition to, which is telling you that the first three pieces are standard armor, but then you've got your additional stuff. I've got to stop, don't I? Mm. All right. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that we would 
Father, by your grace, open our eyes to the battle. And I pray that we would know that our enemy is not uh, anything compared to your power. I ask that you would, by your grace, awaken the heart of your church here for the battle that's ahead of us. Because we're going into enemy territory. We're not going to hide on the sidelines. But Lord, as, as you see fit, we're going to put on the armor and we're going to wade out into battle and see what victories you have for us each day. Personally and as a church. And Lord, would you remind us that you have overcome? Would you remind us of the, the identity we have in you, that we are firmly rooted and grounded in you, that nothing can snatch us out of your hands? So I pray for the heart that is overwhelmed this morning. I pray for the person who is wavering in their faith, who's been run through maybe with sin, who has their uh, things just flailing in the wind and it's been like that their whole life. They go, why bother now? Lord, you are so powerful. And even, perhaps even after years of these things, you can restore what the locusts have taken away. You can take death and bring it into life. You can take a son who's been running away and squandering all their stuff and you will run towards them and grab them and say, come on in and take your coat, your armor and put them upon them and bring them into the safety of the fold. So Lord, draw back, draw us out of this world, but then take us, Lord, and put us right back in it. But with the heart of not being enslaved to it, but enslaved to you, and let us pierce the darkness together. Let your kingdom reign and rule in our lives first, Lord. And we pray for Walla Walla and the uttermost parts of the earth, Lord, that we will pierce by your goodness, by your grace, if you will. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus, amen.